Would you believe that this is going to be love walk number 12? In reality, as you've heard me say before, because love is the author of the Bible, you know, God is love. Realistically, you know, you could preach and teach from every single chapter of the book of the Bible. And if you really learn, if you really know how to rightly divide the Word of God, you will see that all of the actions of God, the inactions of God, are due to the issue of love. Love is a form of great worship, to say the least. In other words, when we obey Him, that's loving Him, that's worshiping Him. But today, I want to share with you a passage from First and Second Corinthians that to me carries one of the strongest messages of the need of the revelation of this truth of anything that I've ever read about it. When you really consider what Paul is teaching here about our responsibility to our brothers and sisters. So to begin with, let me just read a little bit from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, and you'll know the situation. Paul says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, impurity of a sort that is condemned and does not occur even among the heathen, for a man has his own father a man has his own father's wife. In other words, this fellow is guilty of incest. And he says in verse 2, And you are proud and arrogant, and you ought to rather mourn and bow in sorrow and in shame until the person who has done this shameful thing is removed from your fellowship and your midst. In other words, he's telling them that they're going to need to excommunicate him as we're getting him out. He'll, show, he'll share why in a moment. As for my attitude, though I am absent from you in body, I am present in spirit, and I have already decided and passed judgment as if actually present in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ on the man who has committed such a deed. When you and my own spirit are met together with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man over to Satan for physical discipline to destroy carnal lusts which prompted him to incest. That his spirit, do you hear this now? That his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he's not saying turn him over for total destruction. When people have a lot of concern when they read that passage about turning him over to Satan, what that simply means is releasing him from the protection of God and the protection that comes from being amongst God's people in their presence in the temple, in the church. Verse 6, he says, about the condition of your church, your boasting is not good. Indeed, it is most unseemly and entirely out of place. Do you not know that just a little leaven will ferment the whole lump of dough? So verse 7, he says, so purge, clean out the old leaven, that you may be fresh, new dough, still uncontaminated as you are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, is sacrificed for us. So basically, as we read this, I want you to consider, as we move, because we're going to get to it in a minute now, but I want you to consider this. Let's say in your church, in our church, someone has a, an incredible moral failure. Now, in this case, it was incest, you know, th something that was just unthinkable to Paul and should be unthinkable to any Christian, to any believer, right? So, but to put it in the light of today, I don't know what you might think is quote-unquote the most heinous sin that someone in the church could, you know, commit, uh, you know, like child molestation or again like, you know, multiple adulteries or whatever such like this. 
Now, Paul categorically says when you find somebody that's involved with sin to that level, he said you need to purge them. You need to get rid of them, as it were, not for eternity, but he said you need to remove them from your midst because keeping them in your midst actually shows a form of acceptance to the sin that they're involved in and evidently not wanting to tire of, okay? So it's a very strong passage, but the real key that God wants to communicate is what Paul's response is after the, current, the church at Corinth evidently, you know, turns him over, just expels him from their church and says, you know, uh, we just can't have you around here anymore. Now, I'm going to read now from 2 Corinthians on my notes. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 is when Paul begins to speak to this, starting right in verse 11. Not that really hear this. Paul said, but I definitely made up my mind not to grieve you with another painful and distressing visit. For if I cause you pain with merited rebuke, who is there to provide me enjoyment but the very one whom I have grieved and made sad? In other words, because of having to, uh, you know, as it were, exert his authority over the church and telling them to get, you know, to excommunicate this guy. Verse 3 says, And I wrote the same to you, so that when I came, I might not be myself pained by those who are the very ones who ought to make me glad. For I trusted in you all and felt confident that my joy would be shared by all of you. For I wrote you out of great sorrow and deep distress with mental torture and anxiety of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but in order to make you realize the overflowing love that I continue increasingly to have for you. Now, even with that aspect, you've got to really hear this. As a leader, as an apostle of God, he found no pleasure in having to condemn this man, as it were, to excommunication. If you can see again the heart of Paul, this one who writes and says so much about the love of God, like we spoke of last week, you know, the love chapter and 13th chapter, what have you. But let me read that again. He said, I wrote you out of great sorrow. Now, this pained me. I did not want to have to deal with this. And again, if any leader has any joy in having to chastise or correct somebody, there's, there's something wrong in his character. I wrote you out of great sorrow and deep distress. The Amplified says, with mental torture, think about this. He's saying, with mental torture and anxiety having to deal with this. Yes, and with many tears, <clears throat> excuse me, not to cause you pain, but in order to make you realize the overflowing love, the overflowing love that I continue increasingly to have for you. So I want you to catch this. What he did, he did from love. He had to make a decision to act strongly in the case of the entire church to prevent that leaven from leavening the entire church. In other words, from not allowing that sin to spread. This is why when you do find something like this, you have to deal with it quickly. Some things indeed do handle themselves. They take care of themselves given a little time. If you speak to the person, you can see that there's a heart that's going to move towards repentance. But evidently, this was not the case. And so Paul is saying this. He said, I, I'm doing this because of the increasing love I have for you. In other words, he knows he's got to make some tough decisions because the church needs to remain as clean and pure as possible. Now watch what he goes on to say. But... If someone, verse 5, if someone, the one 
among you who committed incest has caused all this grief and pain. Now think about it again. Like I said, think about somebody in your church who's committed something very, very bad. Everybody knows about it. People are talking about it. In other words, it's like the current topic of conversation, right? But if someone, the one among you who committed incest has caused all this grief and pain, he's caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, he has distressed all of you. For such a one, now listen to what he starts to say here, and this is the part I want to get to that to me is incredibly powerful. For such a one, this censure, in other words, the fact evidently they obeyed and they disregarded him, they set him aside, set him out of their fellowship. This censure, I mean, where am I at? I said, um, sorry, okay, sorry. For such a one, this censor by the majority, which he has received is sufficient punishment. So what's taking place when you read between the lines is this guy has been kicked out of the church, as it were, but it's caused him to repent. It's caused him to truly feel deep grief and sorrow for the sin that he committed. And he has evidently repented because Paul would not ask for restoration if there was no repentance. For such a one, this censored by the majority, which he has received is sufficient punishment. So instead of further rebuke now, you should rather turn, listen to this, you should rather turn, turn and graciously forgive and comfort and encourage him to keep him from being overwhelmed by excessive sorrow and despair. I therefore beg you to reinstate him in your affection. And, and listen, listen to that. Listen to what he says again. This guy's committed incest. Everybody's talking about it. But again, evidently, he's shown himself to be truly repentant. He is sorrowful for what's happened, repented, turned from it. But now the emphasis is not on him. The emphasis on, is on us, the church members. Again, let me read it. I therefore beg you, this is verse 8, I therefore beg you to reinstate him in your affections, affections and assure him, the guy who committed incest, the child molester, the pornographer, the one who did whatever it was that makes you ill at heart. I therefore beg you to reinstate him in your affection, put him right back in your affections to the location he was before you were ever aware of his mistake. Wow. I therefore beg you to reinstate him in your affections and assure him, assure him of your love for him. I therefore, excuse me, verse 9, and then he says, For this was my purpose in writing you, to test your attitude, to test your attitude, and to see if you would stand the test, whether you are obedient and altogether agreeable to following my orders and everything. Verse 10, if you forgive anyone anything, I too forgive that one. And what I have forgiven, now listen to this part, I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sakes in the presence and with the approval of Christ the Messiah. Why? To keep Satan from gaining or getting the advantage over us, for we're not ignorant of his wiles and intentions. I'm going to forgive him. I'm uh, begging you to reinstate him, forgive him, because otherwise Satan can get an advantage over all of us 
if all of us don't reinstate him. Now, do you really hear what's being said? Now, it says, lest Satan get the advantage over us. Uh, you know, we've spoken about the, the, in, the importance of forgiveness, but this to me is incredible. The word advantage in the Greek is spelled P-L-E-O-N-E-K-T-E-O. -E -E it's like pleionekteo. It means to seek, to get more, to get an advantage of, of Satan's effort to gain an advantage over the church through our neglect to restore the backslider. That's from Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words. But to me, you know, I've thought about this many, many times. To me, it's a, literally a hallmark portion of what it means to really be Christ-like. Because let's face it, let's say you're in church a year, 16 months ago, whatever, the fellow that sin has committed, he's out of the church. He's no longer in the picture. You go to church on Sunday, you see your friends, you're smiling, joining, you're singing with the worship team and what have you. But 16 months goes by, and what you don't realize is this guy's been working, been working with ministers, and they've been dealing with him to really show him the, the error of his ways and getting him to truly look at what he's done. And to their understanding, this guy has truly repented. He has, he has asked God to forgive him. Uh, when he asks God to forgive him, will God forgive him for that? Yeah, yeah. No matter how upset that makes you, God will forgive you for anything if you truly come to him for, to, for forgiveness. That doesn't mean that there may not still be consequences, but he will forgive you. So don't forget, that's the major part you got to understand. But think about this. Like I said, a year, 16 months have gone by, and you're in church one morning, and all of a sudden the back door opens, and this guy walks in. Think about it now. Really put yourself in this position. The fellow walks in. The fellow who committed the incest. The child molester. He's gone to prison. He's paid his dues. I mean, I know. See, this is what I mean. Your mind rails at this because no, no, no. I, forever, you know, in your mind, forever, he's anathema, right? That's the way most of us think. And, you know, it is understandable to the natural mind. But this is where things come to an issue. Christ wants us to have a supernatural mind and live and move and have our being in him. But let's, again, picture this. The guy walks in the back door, and you turn, and you look, and you see him. Now, right then, what's the very first thought that's going to come into your mind? Hmm? The very first thought. The flash of the memory of the discovery of the sin and everything that has to go with it. All of your thoughts and maybe the anger even that you had or the sorrow that you felt for whatever the people had done. You know, uh, but I'm, it, you get what I'm trying to say. The first thought that's going to come in your mind is their sin, how wrong it was, how ugly it was. I don't want anything to do with that guy is what your normal sense would be, right? Right? That's right. But this is, again, why it's so powerful. Paul says, I therefore beg you, I beg you to reinstate him in your affections and assure him of your love for him. Assure him of your love. Can you see this is this is what I mean in the flesh. I don't know that I could walk up to a child molester and totally have my sense of freedom, as it were, to just put my arm around him, and say, my brother. 
God bless you. I'm glad of your repentance. I welcome you back into the fold. Hallelujah. <laughs> you see how difficult and how touchy this gets? This gets really touchy, doesn't it? To say the least. But this is what God asked of us. And Paul makes this incredible statement. He said, if I have forgiven anything, it's been for your sakes and the presence and with the approval of Christ to keep Satan from getting the advantage over us, for we're not ignorant of his wiles, his strategies, and his intentions. The word advantage again of Satan's effort to gain an advantage over the entire church through the neglect to restore the backslider. Now, you know, I could go on and on about this, but I think for today's message, I want you to just meditate on this because to me, Wow, man, I mean, in the natural, like I said, when I think of this, I have to say, even as I read it again today, I think to myself, you know, could I really do that? I could do it by faith, but I would sure have to search my heart because, like I said, see, the flashing memory of what someone else has done to maybe someone else you knew or whatever, you know, this is where the phrase comes up where people say, I will never forgive them for that. I will never forgive them for that. But see, this is the length, the height, the breadth, and the depth of the love of God that's been shed and brought in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Christ will look at you if he sees a truly repentant heart and say, I welcome you. I welcome you just like he has welcomed you and welcomed me, regardless of what we did and went through in our past before we knew him. And even now that we call ourselves believers, we call ourselves Christians, when, when, when we fall in given areas, you know, he is still lightning fast, ready to forgive us and to cleanse us. And this is the thing. This is why so many people remain wounded and hurt in the body of Christ. Because when they do make a mistake, because people are people, people are flesh and blood, they make mistakes. They make mistakes. Remember Peter talking to Jesus? Shall I forgive my brother seven times? And Jesus smiles and nah, how about seven times 70? See, in our natural strength, you can't do that. Because again, this mind of yours wants justice. You hear me? It wants justice. It wants, it wants something. It wants punishment. But see, that's not Christ. This is why I say this is one of the greatest proofs of actual spiritual, I want to use the word maturity, the greatest evidence of true spiritual maturity that can actually be discovered or found in scriptures when you love like Jesus loves. I forgive you. I welcome you. I'm going to put my arms around in you. God bless you. That's gone. It's under the blood. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. See, this is what we have to work toward. And this is what you can be. This is what you can do because, again, that kind of love is on the inside of you. And this is why I pursue, and this is like even in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, I was going to read it. I love that verse. It says to eagerly pursue and seek to acquire this love, the love that we mentioned in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, love is patient, love is kind and all that. He said, eagerly pursue and seek to acquire this love. Make it your aim, your great quest. I've told you many times, I love that word quest. He said, make, make walking and living in this kind of love the great quest of your life. The great quest of your life. I will 
not live in irritation. I will not live in oppression. I will not live in depression. I will not live in anger. I will not live in, uh, in unforgiveness. I want to be more Christ-like. And being more Christ-like means you make the decision to simply obey his precepts and the way he's asked us to live. This is why I say again, this passage here to me is incredible. Because if I don't do this, if I don't, if I can't move towards this type, this depth of love, I, it says, give Satan the advantage. I give him, a, like in the literal Greek, it says, I put him in a position where he can seek more and get more from the church. Hurt the church. Hurt the church. Can you understand in our church right now, there may be all manner of people that are, that are still holding a bit of angst towards somebody. That's giving Satan the advantage, and that's causing there to be less of what God wants to manifest in our church to happen. Let's really guard against that. Like I said, this is the greatest depth of maturity in Christianity I think there is. To truly, again, make this your great aim, your great quest. God has shed abroad, again, His His love in our hearts by the Holy Ghost that He has given us. We can do this, but it takes a, it takes a decision not based upon your emotions. You cannot live emotionally and serve the living God. He wants you to stir up holy emotions and see when somebody has done such a thing, the need to be sure that they're repentant, yes, amen, but then to accept them, to reinstate them in your affection. Think about that again, to put them right back where they were, right back where they were before you ever knew anything had happened. Hallelujah. I'm going to stop there for today because I think that's enough for us to meditate on, okay? So may God bless you richly and may you truly make the decision to go forward in the love of God because that's the most powerful and blessed thing you can ever do.